Well, you guys, there is an unavoidable truth of life um, that we make plans and our plans change. A lot of times not under, like by our own, you know, design, but plans just change. <laughs> Even at Christmas time, plans change. Um, I can remember several years ago uh, that uh, this happened to our family. We had a big change of plans at Christmas one year. Uh, see, Christmas had always been at my grandparents' house on my mom's side ever since I've been uh, alive. Ever since I have walked the face of this earth, Christmas, grandma and grandpa's house, Christmas lunch, one o'clock, those are the plans. There's only ever one year that I can ever remember that not being the case, and this was several years ago. Um, grandma and grandpa were sick on Christmas Day, stomach bug going around, and so they call, you call my mom at like 10 o'clock and say, oh, hey, by the way, we're sick. And it's like, dude, Christmas is in like two hours. And all of a sudden, the mad dash began to start like getting my parents' house ready to go because that was the, the backup location. And so we're cleaning, we're organizing things. Adding to the complexity of that story is my parents' house is already a little bit um, out of sorts is what it would have normally been because at that time, Christy and I and Braxton, Paisley hadn't been born yet, were living with my parents. Um, and so it, when we planted the church, we sold our house and, and we moved to mom and dad for a year. And so not only is it my parents and uh, their, you know, their two cats, it's also me and Christy and our one-year-old Braxton at the time and our dog and our cat. And oh, by the way, here come like 30 or 40 extra people for the day. And so we were running around like crazy, cleaning the house, shoving things in closets. Uh, we came over here to get grab extra chairs and stuff because where are all these people going to sit it was a major change of plans. We did not get up that day thinking, oh, this is what's going to happen. It's like, no, it's going to be a normal Christmas. It's going to be a quiet Christmas. Plans went out, uh, went out the window. Um, but I say all that to say this, like plans changed, and it actually ended up being one of the best Christmases that we've had. I remember leaving that Christmas thinking, wow, it seemed like the family was just, we were nicer to each other this year. We talked longer this year. Like people stayed longer and just sat around and, and like relationally connected. And it was just, it was a change of plans, but it turned out way better. Except for the other part of the story where um, grandma and grandpa already had a bunch of the gifts at their house. And so dad went and brought the gifts back into my parents' house and brought some additional gifts with him, being the germs that my grandparents had. And like half the people ended up with a stomach bug after Christmas that year. That was another unexpected change of plans. It didn't turn out so well. But sometimes plans change, and it turns out better than we could have imagined. And, and I'm sure all of you on some level have a story like that, where things change. I, I didn't plan it this way. This isn't how I saw it going, but it was good. Uh, and it could be big things, you know, things like a job. You lose a job. You get an unexpected job opportunity, an unexpected move, an unexpected relationship change. And there's like, you know, if you would, if you would have told me that this was going to happen, this wasn't the plan, but it turned out better than I could have imagined. Or sometimes it's just small things, like a Christmas dinner or something interrupts your schedule for the day. And things turn out different but better. I want us to have that idea at the back of our mind as we continue exploring the Christmas story here this morning. We started this series last week. We're looking at the, the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, and we're looking at them from a particular angle. They all have one thing in common, and that is that they all involve angels. Angels are simply messengers from God. God sends his messengers to people to kind of communicate what's happening, what's he doing in the world, what's about to happen. And around the Christmas story, there are angels that deliver some messages. And the message that we're going to look at this morning was a message that was delivered to a young girl named Mary. We're going to pick up with that portion of the, the, birth, the story of the birth of Jesus. And so we're going to be in, in the Gospel of Luke this morning. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there. I mean, Luke chapter 1. If you want a hard copy Bible, there's some at the back of the room. 
verses will be on the screen as well. But Luke chapter 1, we're going to pick things up in verse 26, kind of continuing on from where we were last week. And if you weren't here last week, you can check out that message on our website. But here's what we read. Here's what Luke records for us. He says, it's the sixth month. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. And so this is picking right up from where we were last week. Last week, we looked at this, uh, this announcement that the angel Gabriel made to uh, this couple, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And they were older, and they were unable to have kids. And, and the angel shows up and says, Zechariah, you're going to have a son, which seemed impossible because they were past the age of being able to have children. You're going to have a son. God's going to do this thing. He's going to be really important. It's going to end up being John the Baptist who will kind of prepare the way for uh, Jesus' earthly ministry. And so that's just happened. And the next thing we read, fast forward six months, Gabriel shows up again, this time to a girl named Mary that we're going to meet in just a moment in a place called Nazareth. But before we jump into all of that, I, I want to pause and just sit in verse 26 for a minute because there's a really important detail that I think sometimes we skip right past. You see, sometimes... When we encounter or read or go through like a story that we're really familiar with, and that could be uh, in scripture, or that could just be anything in life, like you know, you got those movies or those shows that you've watched a million times, sometimes we're tempted to just skim right past details because we already know what's going to happen, right? It's like, okay, I know what's going to happen in the Christmas story. Give me to Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels and baby Jesus, and then after that we'll get to wise men. I already know what's going to happen, and so in my mind, I'm already fast-forwarding to the point, and I'm getting past some of the details, and I don't want us to miss the detail that is found here in verse 26. That it's the sixth month, Gabriel's going to come with a message, and the message is going to be to Mary, but there's a little phrase that is going to set up the importance of the entire passage, that Gabriel was sent by God. See, everything that's about to happen, everything that is involved in the Christmas story, in the birth of Jesus, they're his plans. They're his purposes. They're, they're, they're his promises. Sometimes we skip right past that. And we're like, wait, 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 let, let's, not, let's not miss that this whole thing from beginning to end is about what God is doing in the world. And his plan, as we're going to see it unfold in the Christmas story and pretty much everything that, that God does, but especially here as we talk about Christmas, his plans don't look at all like ours. Like, like, like if, I'm, if I'm writing the, the Christmas story this is not how I write it, okay? It's like, if, if, you, if you told me, hey, Phil, come up with a story um, of how kind of Christianity came into existence, how Jesus was born, and like, give me the, the details of that. What does it look like for God to become man, to live among us? I don't tell it this way. I certainly don't start with a town called Nazareth. Nazareth was an unimportant place. Small, podunk, middle of nowhere, nothing of significance. I mean, it Kind of makes me feel good because this is most of our lived reality here. It's like, hey, we got people from uh, Minerva and Carrollton and Malvern. Some of you live in the suburbs of East Rochester and Robertsville and Paris, right? You just got that suburban life because Minerva is an urban center, obviously. <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah, I like, I like things like Nazareth. But the idea is outside of like where, where Nazareth intersects the story of Jesus, there's nothing going on there. If I'm telling this story, I'm like, okay, and an angel came to a woman living in Jerusalem, right? If I want to, if I want to stick to, to Israel and to the Jews. Or in Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, because that's where the important people are. God's like, nah, Nazareth. And, and I'm not picking the people to be a part of this narrative that God picks. I'm going to pick someone who's got some, some influence, some power, some movers and shakers, some people who can get stuff done. And God's like, no, I'm, I'm going I'm to go with Mary and Joseph. The, the little that we know about them in, in, from the details in the Gospels and also just kind of culture at that time, 
they, they appear to just be regular, kind of working class, lower class people. Joseph's got a manual labor job. We often call him a carpenter. Uh, that may not probably be like woodworking, but just working with his hands, building stuff. Maybe it's wood, maybe it's stone. Just kind of making ends meet. Mary, who we saw often think, and because of like the imagery that we get, that she's just this mature and just well put together, you know, young woman who's like, yes, I am the mother of Jesus. Culturally speaking, she's likely 13 or 14 years old. That would have been like the common time that, that a, a girl would have been married at that time. And so we got a 13, 14-year-old scared little girl, Joseph, who's just, he's just a regular dude. And, and they're not married yet. They don't have any children yet, which is crazy to me. Because <laughs> again, if I'm writing this story and I'm God, I'm like, okay, I'm sending my son and who's going to take care of it? Like, you give me the best parents imaginable. I, I can remember, and maybe you've had a similar experience if you have children, when you go home from a hospital with your first child, and you're like, what's this? Like, they just, they expect me to keep this thing alive. And like, I've never done this. I have no idea. And so it's like, man, if I'm sending my son, if I'm God and sending my son to earth, I'm like, find me the best parents on the planet. Like, who's raised the most kids, and they're just great, and they're wonderful, and they know how to do this. And it's like, nah, Mary and Joseph, young a teenage, lower class, and not, not of like noble stock. And we're just reminded, and I, and I want you to see this throughout this narrative here this morning, that all of this, it doesn't make sense to us. They're not our plans, they're his. And it's him from the very beginning that, that God sent Gabriel. God is the one who's been orchestrating this thing. Humanly speaking, it doesn't make sense, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't actually make sense. Humanly speaking, it seems impossible, but that doesn't mean it's actually impossible. The sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town, a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph, the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Greetings, favored woman, like the, the highly favored among women, highly blessed among women. Women, Mary, you are favored. You are incredible. The Lord is with you. And you're like, wow. I mean, again, put, put yourself in Mary's shoes. She's like, I'm what now? Like, I'm, I'm, just, a, I'm, I'm just a girl. I'm like, I'm not, I, don't have, I haven't done anything. And again, this is the significance and the importance of it, that there is nothing special about Mary in herself. Like, she is, she is highly favored because of this part right here. The Lord is with you. Again, this is something that, that God is doing. It doesn't imply, when, when it says that Mary is highly favored, it doesn't imply that she is uh, extra worthy or, or that she has done something significant, but rather that God has chosen her for something significant. See, we see this pattern in Scripture that, that God calls people favored, that he calls people blessed, that he calls people um, that, that they are his and they're going to do, but it's, 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 it's never about them. It's always about who he is and what he's doing. And so we have this dynamic playing out, that Mary is going to be a part of something. And this is what else that we see with God's plans, even though they don't make sense to us, and even though it's him, like he's the one doing things, we always see that while he's the one moving and working, he always has this posture saying, but I want, I want you, I want people to be a part of my plans. I want people to be a part of what I'm doing in the world. And so throughout scripture, we see this pattern of God moves and he works, but he, he taps someone on the shoulder and says, I'm choosing you, I'm using you calling you. Mary gets this greeting, and it says that she's deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be, and I bet she was, because again, from a human perspective, it's like, well, why me? Why are you showing up to me? I haven't done anything. 
I've not earned this. I've not worked for this. I'm just a regular girl just trying to live my life here. And the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Wow. Mary, you found favor with God. There's this this microcosm, this picture of the gospel within this announcement to Mary. Mary, you found favor with God. Why? Mary, did you do anything? No. You found favor with God because this is just the, the overflow of God's love for people. He's the one that chooses. It's about his grace. It's about what he's doing in the world. And so the, Gabriel has kind of set up the statement, hey, Mary, hey, you're favored. You're blessed. Like, God is with you. It's like, this is great. But what comes out of that? Like, God's, God's blessing, God's favor, God choosing someone. Because of our cultural context, we tend to think in terms of, like, blessing and favor and God's grace on our lives. It tends to be uh, individualistic in terms of, like, if I'm blessed, it's going to look like my personal life and my personal sphere is going really, really well. But what we see in Mary and we see the pattern in Scripture is that when God blesses someone, he blesses them for a purpose, to be a blessing to other people, to do something through them for others. And so Gabriel's like, hey, Mary, you're blessed, you're favored, and here is what that is going to look like. Here is how God is going to use you. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Uh, there, there are several kind of key phrases in there that would have Mary's mind just going like, whoa, wait, I, I've heard this before. I'm familiar with this. And, and Luke's readers and the people at that time go, wait a minute, we, we know what Gabriel is saying here. He says that this son that you're going to have, that God is going to give him the throne of his father David. What do you mean his father? I thought his father was, well, God, and then, you know, he's got the dad, Joseph, but it's this idea of someone in the line of David, an ancestor of King David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. Jacob is, is just another name for Israel, the, the patriarch that the, the nation of Israel would come from, and his kingdom will have no end. Gabriel is calling upon these promises that God had made to his people generations in the past. Essentially, the message to Mary is, hey, Mary, this is a really big deal. Like everything, everything that you and literally all of your ancestors have been hoping for is about to come true in this son that you're going to have. You've been hoping for this and your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your great-great-grandparents, your great-great-great-grandparents, like all the way back through the generations, your people have been waiting for a promise. They've been longing for something and it's about to happen. And it's about to happen in the son that you are about to have. There's these promises that are given that find their fulfillment in Jesus. The promise of a king. The promise of a Messiah. Paul actually read a little bit of where one of these promises comes from this morning. As uh, as we lit the Advent candle and he uh, read from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. And Isaiah is this prophetic book in the Old Testament that, that there is just so many prophecies that just point to Jesus, but his life, his, his birth, his death, his, it's just, it's all there. And one of the amazing things is that the prophet Isaiah is written about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. It's astounding to think that 600 years before Jesus is born, these things are being predicted about him. And, and if you're skeptical of that, I get that. I understand that. You're like, that just seems kind of crazy. Maybe somebody came along and wrote these prophecies afterwards. We actually have a copy of Isaiah a copy of Isaiah that predates the birth of Jesus. Did you guys know this? That one of the most uh, kind of 
monumental discoveries or advancements in, in biblical archaeology was the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. It happened in the believe, 1940s or 50s. That they found these uh, scrolls of a, it's pretty much the entire Old Testament as well as some other documents that predate Jesus, again, by about 100 years. And within that, we have the scroll of Isaiah. Written 100 years, like copied 100 years before Jesus, written 600 years before Jesus, and we read things like this, this famous Christmas prophecy. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We heard those words this morning, but it continues on in verse 7. His government and its peace will never end. It will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David, for all eternity. The compassionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. His government, his peace will never end. He'll sit on the throne of David for all eternity. As we go back to the angel's words to Mary, the throne of his father, David, house of Israel, a kingdom that will never end. For 600 years, the people were waiting. They were longing for the fulfillment of this promise. This is spoken at a time to the prophet Isaiah where it was a dark time in the nation's history. The nation of Israel had been divided into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern had fallen to the Assyrians. The southern was on the brink of falling, and eventually they would fall. And it would be generation after generation of being oppressed and being dominated by foreign powers and foreign nations and living under foreign occupation. It would start with the Assyrians, and then it would be the Babylonians, and then it would be the Medo-Persian Empire, and then along comes Alexander the Great and his domination of the known world. And that gets split up after his life among his four generals, and then it's the Roman Empire, which is where Mary finds herself sitting. It had been 600 years of this promise had been made. Like, where's our king? Where is, where is the king that we've been promised? The one who's going to bring peace. The one who's going to rule with fairness and justice. And it's going to rule forever and forever and forever. And Gabriel shows up and says, Mary, the time is now. God has had a plan this entire time. God has had, made a promise long ago. He's got purposes that he is working out in the world. And it is coming to fulfillment in the son that you are going to have. And how is this going to happen? Because this seems crazy. There's detail that is given of the how it is going to happen. And it's the point that we're talking about here this morning. That God is going to be the one to do it. That God is going to be the one to do it. He says that the the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. That this is going to be something that God does. So that at the end of it, nobody can say, yep, this was my plan all along. This was something that I did. You know, I was pulling the strings. I had, I had it all worked together. For those of you who are, who are a little bit, well, more seasoned in our congregation, we'll say, maybe as a, as a, as a kid, you remember watching the A-Team. I remember watching reruns of the A-Team. And you would say, I love it when a plan comes together. Right? So no human could, could see the birth of Jesus and everything was about to be done and say, I love it when a plan comes together. This was all my idea. No, from beginning to end, it's like this was not a human thing. From the prophecy that Isaiah made, he said the passionate commitment of the Lord would be the one who makes this happen. I really, I really appreciate the way that this translation renders that phrase. This is the NLT. Um, but this passionate commitment, a lot of times it gets translated as zeal. The zeal of the Lord will make this happen. And zeal is a good translation. It's just not a word that we use that often. Zeal is like this excitement, but it's more than just excitement. 
that God's not just like, woohoo, I'm really excited. That I didn't know God sounded like Mario. That didn't mean to come out that way. <laughs> God's not just really excited to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going I'm to do this thing. But it's a passionate commitment, a passionate commitment to his people. It is a passionate commitment to the promises that he has made. The reason that God is going to do this is because he is a God who has made promises, who has bound himself to a people and said, you are my people, I am your God, and I am committed to you, and nothing that you do can break this commitment. This is the difference between like a contract and a covenant. Covenants are talked about a lot in scripture. And when God makes a covenant with his people, it says, even though you're going to walk away from this and you're going to break this and you're going to turn your back on me over and over and over again, God would say, because of who I am, I am passionately committed to you. That I will do what I promise to do because of, of, of God's love, because of his goodness. He says, I'm passionately committed and I will bring about this thing that I'm about to do for you and for all of humanity. He's committed to his people. He loves his people. He will make this happen. And Mary's next question that she asks of the angel Gabriel reflects this idea. And Gabriel's answer back to her reflects this idea. This is going to be something that only God can take credit for because Mary asks, hey, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? Mary's like, okay, listen, I may only be 13, 14 years old but I know how the whole child thing works, all right? Like, I know, I'm old enough to know it's not a stork and it's not just mommy's belly, okay? I know what happens here for, for a, like, what, what produces a human child. And so I'm, I, like, I know that that's not happened for me, so how can I possibly have a child? I know this isn't, this isn't humanly possible. That's the point. It's not humanly possible. It's not something that, that she has done. It's something that God is doing. And that's what Gabriel responds with. He replies, hey, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. It's not humanly possible. God is going to be the one who's going to do it. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies is going to be the one to do it. God is going to do something that you cannot do. And there's two parts of this. It seems like Luke is maybe just repeating himself or that Gabriel is repeating himself here, but he's actually getting at two different ideas that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the Most High will overshadow you. That Tom Wright notes in his um, commentary that the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary, enabling her to do and to be more than she could be by herself. That, that's what the Spirit of God does in the people of God. The Spirit of God works within us and allows us to do more and to be more than we could be on, on our own, right? The Holy Spirit working within us, changing us, molding us, empowering us, convicting us. And so you have that aspect, but he goes on and says, uh, but at the same time, the power of the Most High will overshadow her, that this is something different, that God himself, the Creator, will surround her uh, completely with his sovereign power. And so the, Mary then becomes the, this, this picture, um, this example of what happens when God is at work by grace through humanity. His spirit is at work in and through people, and he is, is working in time and in history, orchestrating things together to bring about his plans and his purposes. God is at work. This is going to be something that only he can, can take credit for, that only he can do. Mary is going to be a part of the story, but it is God who gets all the glory as a part of this promise, because it's be something that God is doing, there's some massive claims that are made. He says, therefore, because this is something that God is doing, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is no mere child. 
this is actually the most high, the eternal God, the everlasting God, the creator of all. God become human. God in the flesh. There's two kind of uh, complementary claims about the identity of Jesus that we find here in the angel's words. There's this massive theological claim that he will be the son of God. But a few verses prior to that, there's also a massive political claim that is made that he's the king of the world. Not partisan as in pick a side, but political as in, hey, who has ultimate authority? Who do you give your allegiance to? What do you organize your life around? And so we have this promise that this son born to you will be the king of the world and God in the flesh. The son of God and the king, the Messiah that was promised. And the danger, and this is why Christmas sometimes we think is nice and it's, it's, it's happy and it's baby Jesus, but if we allow it to, it actually confronts us and it smacks us in the face with the reality of who Jesus is. Because we, we, if we see these two things, he's God and he's king. The danger or the temptation for uh, those of us who are Christians, part of a church, and even just kind of culture at large, the danger is to, to really hone in on one of those and say, I like this part of Jesus, but not this part. You see, there, there's the, the theological claim that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he is the creator, he is the designer, that he has standards, that, he has, that we are sinful, that he has died for sins, that he has revealed himself to us. Right? Like the, one of the beautiful things that we miss out on is that the clearest picture we will ever have of God is in the person of Jesus, because God is infinite in nature. Our finite minds can't fully grasp him. We were talking about this with some of our students this past week in a conversation. That if we could ever fully grasp who God is, he would no longer be God. Because me as a finite human can understand him. But he's infinite. And so in his goodness, one of the things that, that Jesus being the son of God does is here's a, way that, here's a way you can understand me and you can actually relate to me. Because you know what it is to be human. And I will become human so that you can see who God is. And so we hold on to that part. And we also hold on to the political claim that Jesus is king. Nobody else gets my allegiance. No, nobody, nobody else has authority over my life. And as I said, there's a danger to say, I really like the Jesus is God part. And so I'll keep that internal and I'll go to church and I'll worship. But the Jesus is king part, that means, that means he's actually going to like ask of things in my life. And I don't like that part. And so we can be tempted to move in that direction. Or we can be tempted to do, in which this happens a lot, we can be tempted to hold on to the Jesus is king part and say, I'll use Jesus for my political gain. I'll, I'll trumpet like causes and be like, this is, here's a cause, I'm gonna slap the name of Jesus on it. But meanwhile, ignore that he is not just a man. He's God in the flesh. He showed us who God is, that he has died for our sins. And so we hold these two parts and it confronts us that he is our king, he is our God. There is a heart thing that happens, there's a theological thing that happens, but there's also a lived reality in the day-to-day -day of our lives. This is who this child will be. God gets all the credit. God gets all the glory. Gabriel goes on and gives an example of to Mary of how this happens. Or, or, or to make her see, okay, maybe this isn't connected. Here's a, here's a real-life example. He says, consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who is called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Like, okay, Mary, I know it seems like you're having a hard time believing this. You know, Elizabeth, it seems as though they're cousins or something of some sort. Elizabeth and Zechariah, they couldn't have kids. That seemed absolutely impossible. But look, they've had children. They have a child on the way. She's pregnant. God did it. Okay, so God is going to do something through you as well that also seems impossible. 
This whole thing has been this statement. God sent the angel. God is the one doing it. God has plans and purposes. He promised it long ago. He is working things and weaving things so that it will happen. It's all been about him. And so we don't want to lose that aspect of things. But we hold at the same time, and this ends up being kind of the tension that we live in, where God is the one doing this, but he also invites humans to be a part of it. I'm doing something in the world. Come be a part of it. I'm going to fulfill my promises. Come be a part of it. An angel comes to Mary. God is doing this thing, and you're going to be a part of it. And Mary's response is astounding. And again, this is one of those things that whenever we pull ourselves out of the reality of it and just let it be a Christmas story that sometimes we miss, and we can think of Mary saying this confidently and just boldly, but, but, but I, I think that that's the wrong picture, where we have Mary as a teenage girl whose life is about to get turned upside down. And she gets this, this, this message that just seems unbelievable, and it's going to change everything about her. And yet she says, see, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. And so there's this posture of saying, okay, whatever, whatever he says, I'm going to do it. And there's also this posture of humility that says he's God, and I'm just a human. If this is what he wants to do, then I'm his servant, and I'll trust him. I'm the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. May it happen to me as you've said. There's this beautiful, humble, not knowing what the future holds, but trusting him anyway, posture of Mary that just says, at the end of the day, it's not about me, it's about him. I'm his servant. Whatever he wants me to do, I trust him. And I can't say this with certainty, but judging by human nature and, and how people work and how my mind thinks and how most of us think, I would imagine that Mary's thoughts at this moment or the plans that she had at this moment, I should say, were all about to go out the window. I don't know exactly what she was thinking, but I know at this point, she was a, they, her and Joseph were basically engaged, betrothed, we would call that like an engagement. And they're making plans. And so when you're in that stage of you've got your life ahead of you and you're thinking, oh, we're going to get married, we're going to have this life together, we're going to have these children, and we're going to raise them, and then we're going to get old. And you're just thinking about all the things that your life is going to look like. You make all of these plans. And then an angel shows up, and all of her plans went out the window. Everything changed for her. We have the hindsight now of being able to look back and say, well, it worked out pretty well for Mary. But in the moment, what this would have meant for her, what would have been on the line to know, okay, I had this plan to get married, have a family, and that might not happen now. I'm going to be pregnant. Joseph might leave me. I'm going to be seen as an adulteress. Oh, and by the way, if I tell people it's God's baby, not only do I see it seen as an adulteress then, I'm seen as a crazy adulteress. And, and any future that I had had, that I had thought of, that I had dreamed of, that's all gone. And yet she says, hey, I'm the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. Now again, in hindsight, it worked out pretty well. But it was not without difficulty that she went through a lot of hardship, pain, loss, struggle. There were some hopes and dreams that she would have had to say goodbye to. But I can imagine that if we were to, to ask her right now, looking back, she'd say, oh yeah, it was worth it. It wasn't my plan, it was God's plan, and his plan was better than mine all along. The message of this angel to Mary was an invitation for her to be a part of what God was doing through Jesus, to lay aside her plans and embrace his. And Christmas, 
the gospel, this, this story reminds us that that same message and invitation is being extended to us. That we are invited to be a part of what God is doing in the world through Jesus. Now certainly our uh, accepting that invitation looks a little different than Mary's. Okay? Jesus being born was a one-time deal. We don't get to step into the plan in that way. But at that time, what God was saying was, this is my plan, this is my purpose, these are the promises I've made, and they are all coming to fulfillment in this son that is going to be born, Jesus, the Messiah. And just as it was then, it is true now that the promises of God, the plans of God, the purposes of God for your life and for the world all revolve around the person of Jesus Christ. He says, that those, are, those are my plans for you. Those are my plans for the world. It's for, it all centers around Jesus. Come be a part of that. Lay aside your plans, and it's scary, and it's hard, and it can be terrifying, and there are hard roads ahead, but his plans for us are better. They're better. Attach ourselves to the Jesus story and say, I'm laying down my plans for yours. And that looks a, a lot different for a lot of different people. Sometimes it's, it's the initial, right? There's, there's the initial, I'm laying, laying up down my plans for, for yours, God. But then there's the daily, I'm laying down my plans for my life for yours. The initial moment of saying, I'm trusting in Jesus, I'm following him, I'm believing in him, I'm putting my faith in him. That is that, that first time of really saying, oh yeah, I had my plans for my life and now God, I'm choosing yours. Maybe for you, that's, that's, like, that's you laying down your plans today. It's putting faith in Jesus. But if you're already a follower of his, there's still that invitation every day to say, I have a plan for what I want my life to look like, but maybe God's got a different plan. Am I willing to lay aside mine to step into what he has for me in big ways and in small ways? God, what is, what is your plan for me in, in, in my career? And not necessarily like what I do, but how I am where I work. And what's your plan for me in my family life? What my relationships look like? And what's your plan for just the way I go about my day? You know, we all start our day with, I've got a plan for today. But what if God wants to interrupt your plans to do something for you? What if you want somebody to cross your path that, that, that you can part, be a part of what he is doing in their life? Just to have this posture all the time from the big things to the small things of, I have my plans and my plans are good. It's good to plan. It's good to, it's good to be prepared. But when those moments and opportunities come along for God to say, hey, I, I want you to lay aside what you had in mind for what I have in mind, will we have that posture and that humility and answer in the same way that Mary answered and say, okay, Lord, I'm your servant. May, may it be done according to me as you have said. I'm trusting that, that you are good, that you can be trusted, and that you are a God who keeps your promises. And I'm not saying that that will be easy. In fact, I'm guaranteeing it won't be. But it will be the best decision that you ever make that we will be able to look back on that as we've experienced God's faithfulness and say, you know what? It was worth it. I see what you've done in me, how I'm not the same person as I used to be. I see what you've done through me, that people's lives have been changed because I said yes to your plans. I, I've experienced my life as really counting for something. I, I, I've been able to, to be forgiven and not carry guilt and shame and, and, and all these things around with me. I've been saved from countless mistakes and pain points in my life because I've been following Jesus. I won't be able to look back and say, you know what? Everybody else around me was just kind of surviving, but I was actually living the abundant life that you promised. To say, it's about you. It's about what you want. It's about your plan. And so I just want to invite you to step into that today. Because if you do, you'll look back someday and you will thank God 
that you didn't settle for your own plans, but you chose his. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are the God who is good, that is trustworthy, that you are the God who is a promise keeper. Lord, you, you have plans, purposes, and promises for us and for the world. We praise you that, that you have fulfilled those things, that you are fulfilling those things, that all of it revolves around your son, Jesus. And as we celebrate this time of year that Jesus was born, may we also celebrate that you are a God who keeps your promises, that you are a God who has a purpose for things. And so God, may we step into that and just live in that. When it's scary, when it's hard, when we don't know what the future holds, would you empower us through your spirit to, to have the same kind of posture that, that Mary displayed here, to simply say, Lord, we're your servants. Whatever you want to do, we're in. We ask this in Jesus' name.